We're practicing safe podcasting. Call it microphone condoms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hello, I'm Annette, and thank you for listening to my podcast, Annette on Education. Today is kind of a special episode. It's a day of advocacy and action. Amarillo College and Amarillo ISD partnered up, and we sent a delegation to support and advocate for, specifically for community college funding and good policy. It was Dr. Russell Lowry Hart, Jay Barrett, fellow regent, Superintendent Doug Loomis of Emerald ISD, and myself. You'll also hear from Curtis Colwell, head of Texas School Alliance, Jacob Frary, head of Texas Association of Community Colleges, Senator Kel Seliger, Representative John Smithy, and Representative Four Price, Dustin Metter. Director of Governmental Relations for Texas Association of Community Colleges. And you'll also hear from Jay, Doug, and Russell. It's kind of an overview on flying down early that morning. We used to could fly out in the morning and get back that night because of COVID. That can't happen right now because the flights are too few. So we spent a day and a night and flew back the next morning to have our voices heard on behalf of the residents and taxpayers of the Texas Panhandle, and beyond. So Jay and I are both regents, and of course, Russell's the president of Emerald College. Uh, Doug, as a partner in the community, decided it was a great idea to come down, and we couldn't agree more for us to, for us to speak with the same voice about the same families we serve. So we fly out early, drop our car at the nearby hotel, walk over to the Capitol building. Of course, I'm dragging my podcasting equipment along with me, and so I do a quick interview on the plane, and then more interviews once we're in the Capitol. We start out in the Capitol Grill, and if you know anything about the Texas Ledge, that's a great place to meet folks, see and be seen. And, of course, I got to connect with a number of old friends there. I loved it that that night at the hotel I ran into some fellow school board, well, I'm no longer a school board member, but some current school board members who are dear friends of mine uh, who were there to be present for the hearing of the budget on the House floor and to support and push support and advocacy for public ed. To get to the Capitol, you now, during COVID, you have to enter the north side of the building. Uh, beautiful building. If you haven't ever been there, please go and check it out. It is one of the loveliest capitals, I'm sure but it's certainly one of the loveliest buildings in the state of Texas. It makes me proud every time I see it. And there's two, kind of two parts to the Capitol now. There's the main building and then the extensions. We, the extensions are an underground, um, three or four story underground building with some you know natural light that comes in, beautifully designed and expanded the number of offices and the grill, uh, some meeting places, some hearing rooms, et cetera. And I can't imagine what the Capitol was like before the extension was built and the remodels were done. We had already scheduled appointments with our three uh, local representatives and senator so that we had scheduled times to meet with them and locations. To get into the building, you either had to have a COVID test in the tents that are on the north side of the building or present your COVID vaccination card along with your ID. And then they put a little uh, paper bracelet on you to 
say that you were clear. Our legislators and their office teams were nothing but supportive and very courteous and always are. So don't hesitate to reach out to your local representatives, talk to their staff. Their staff are hugely important to them. And your resources and your expertise are hugely important to them. They can't begin to be the experts in everything. So they rely on especially their local folks to come and tell them. We worked uh, not only you know, as local people, but we also worked with our state agency, TAC, Texas Association of Community Colleges, again, and Community College Association of Texas Trustees that Jay and I both serve on, and really try to represent the needs for all the students of Texas. Those folks in that Capitol building have so many challenges right now between COVID and the energy crisis we had in Texas in February. Fortunately, we're not in quite as bad a shape in the budget as we thought we might be at this time. So there's a little less gloom and doom, but it's still going to be challenging to meet the needs of a growing state like Texas with rural and urban and suburban needs, all all variety of needs at those different levels. I have to admit, there was kind of an energy and excitement of getting back into the building as the legislative session heats up. And it's there's only six weeks left, especially with such a slow start. They had to basically miss work for a number of weeks for COVID and, and the weather. And I don't begin to know all the players in that building, but we have some good folks up here in the panhandle down there representing us, working hard for us. Just knowing how hard it was for us to get down there on these flights. And these folks have to be down there all the time. Uh, even a lot of times, you know, prior to session, which meets every two years in Texas. So I hope you enjoy it. little glimpse into the world of what we do to try to build support for the systems we believe in. Lots of competing forces down there for those limited dollars. But thanks and enjoy it. And thanks for listening to Annette on Education. Now you'll hear from our day of advocacy. Hello, I'm Annette, and thank you for listening to my podcast. Today, we are traveling to uh, Austin, Texas, a group of us, and you'll be hearing from them as well as from some folks at the Capitol. Uh, the purpose of this trip is to advocate for community colleges. So I'm going to let my first friend talk. We're on the airplane uh, in Dallas, boarding for Austin. So it might be a little noisy in the background. Uh, Dr. Russell Larry Hart, thanks for being part of my podcast today. Thanks for letting me be a part of the podcast on our way to Austin. Tell the listeners what our goal is today and what we're our, trying to do. Our goal is to really advocate for community colleges as the key to economic recovery for recovering from the pandemic. Uh, and to do that, we have to really um, ensure the state understands how to best invest in us. And right now, there are several, like over 30 of the 50 community colleges, would lose significant funding in the proposed budget. Uh, and I think we just want to make sure they understand what the implications are for that choice. How has, over time, since you've been involved in legislative issues, has the focus on community colleges shifted at all? 
at least at the state level? At the state level, I think there's an emerging understanding that that we are the key to providing a skilled workforce, but there's still not really been a lot of funding to support that understanding. And what are the concerns about the current budget? Of course, this has been a crazy year. It's been a crazy year for everyone. I think the biggest concerns I have is any gains we've made in building new programs, providing the kind of professional development for our faculty and the students that they're going to train are going to be lost. And we're not going to be able to ensure the new skills and the economic recovery that our state needs if we have the budget cuts that are proposed. Our other guests involved in the trip today are Doug Lemus, superintendent of Amarillo ISD. Russell is president of Amarillo College. And Jay Barrett, who's also a regent at Amarillo College, along with me, and is principal of the soon-to-be Amtech and principal of the current ACAL, who's been on an earlier podcast as well. So uh, we're going to check out now and come back to you from Austin. Thank you for having me, Matt. It's my pleasure. In our continuation of uh, advocacy on the street, uh, ran into a friend of mine. Uh, Curtis, introduce yourself. Thanks for being on my podcast. Okay, Curtis Caldwell. I'm the executive director of the Texas School Alliance, former school superintendent in Lubbock, Garland, and various places across the state and it's great to see you again <laughs> thanks well um whether or not you know i have an annette on education podcast I'll i do a card so you'll make sure you see it um but tell us about the school alliance the school alliance is uh 43 districts uh some of the larger districts in the state but also strategically located it, we go from uh, we go from McAllen, Texas, to Amarillo, to El Paso, to Tyler, and all points in between, including Dallas, Houston, Garland, San Antonio, A-Leaf, uh, Northeast, Northside, San Antonio, districts like that. And did you say how many school districts are? 40, 43. 40, 43 now. It, I know that number is varied. So you, so you say, you would say you represent most of the kids of Texas. Yes. And, and what we do is we focus on districts that ha have high numbers of uh, uh, ELL learners, high numbers of compensatory ed students. And uh, uh, that is that that is a little bit of our particular uh, mission. Great. And what are the challenges this session currently? Well, I know that it, it's a moving target. Right? It is a moving target. And uh, today, uh our challenges continue to be focused around uh, the distribution of uh, federal dollars. Uh, there, there are three tranches. There was the first one, uh, which uh, probably paid for all of our hold harmless back last spring with the when the governor ordered shut down. The second tranche that uh, came out uh, uh, right after the first of the year was the last part of the Trump administration's uh, uh, COVID relief plan, and then the third part. Um, and uh, everyone's making plans and, uh, 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 for next year, right now, developing their budgets, trying to address learning loss, extended year, uh, all of those issues. So and we need to know. And they're doing it in the dark right now because they don't know if those funds are coming or not. Um, speak to the additional costs that a school district might have because of the COVID issue. What kind of loss? No, what costs? Oh, what costs. Kind of costs? Well, you know, we've already 
we've already districts have spent a lot of money when you look at how much plexiglass people that did things in uh, air conditioning uh, in ventilation systems and uh, PPE and all of those things, uh, they, you know, school districts already spent a lot, uh, not to mention to being able to uh, provide some special outreach uh, technology cost. So all of those going forward are going to continue to a certain degree. So the cost, particularly related to how we're going to address learning loss uh, going forward, is going to be critical. Well, and I know part of that... Uh What's the term? Uh, Goodwill or whatever it is. The state has to uh, pay $1.2 billion to to higher ed to kind of balance. Yeah, the maintenance of effort. The the maintenance of effort provision uh, is, uh, and and one of the questions that the the state, to their benefit, uh, is still trying to resolve is can you separate the K-12 money, federal dollars, from the higher education dollars because the maintenance of effort is going to be quite expensive for higher ed, and uh, that's something you can't and you can't use the federal dollars on tuition relief, which is a problem for higher ed. So hopefully we'll have some discussions and some uh, revelations as we move forward. Unfortunately, there were guidelines issued on Monday from the Department of Education that were less than defin- definitive in terms of yeah, what we what could I do heard. and what we couldn't do. Well, that's a challenge. Well, thank you, and we'll be watching the session as it goes on. All right, Annette, and thank you for all you do and have done. Okay, in continuing our Man on the Street for Advocating for Education at All Levels, uh, right now we're talking to Jacob Ferry. Jacob, welcome. Thanks for being on my podcast again. Yes, good to be here. Tell the listeners what we're talking about today and why why we are down here from Amarillo and working with TAC and what TAC is and just how we approach advocating for public ed for uh, right now for community colleges and such. Yes, Annette. So as, you, as, as, your, as your listening audience understands, we're kind of entering the last phase of the legislative session. And, and this is the phase where things get really interesting. And for community colleges specifically, we really are still uh, keeping track on our two policy priority bills and more importantly, on our funding. So, you know, in, in some ways, the appropriators began this conversation for us two months ago with a level funding bill for community colleges, meaning we got the same amount of money this next year that we have in the previous uh, biennium. But unfortunately, that means that 32 of our college districts will end up in the red. And so that is our priority for us, is to make sure that we get funding for those 32 colleges. I think we're one of them, too. We're all competing for limited resources, but it's not as bad as we thought it might be after COVID and, and the oil and gas crunch. But So the general budget isn't as hard hit in Texas as we thought it might be, correct? That's correct, Annette. So what we're hearing right now, first of all, Everybody's waiting in pins and needles to hear from Comptroller Hager to, to see what the latest budget estimate is. But what we're hearing right now, that even the estimate that he released back in January, that would still have the state about $900 million in deficit, that that may be even changing as we speak. As you know, the Texas economy, not fully robust yet as it was pre-pandemic, but is recovering relatively quickly. And so we're hopeful that 
the state of Texas will not have a budget deficit for the next biennium in the projections, and the federal infusion of dollars that are coming to the state of Texas, to our counties and cities, to our school districts, and then certainly to colleges and universities, that these will provide the kinds of resources that we might see a robust next biennium. Well, thanks. Thanks for giving us a quick comment here. Thanks for what you do on behalf of community colleges and the state of Texas. Good luck in the rest of the session for all of us, right? Thank you, Annette. And I would, let me just say a special thanks to Amarillo College for coming down to visit. I know that getting in an airplane, flying all over the state, or at least across the state, coming to Austin is, is, a, is a process. But I'm so happy you're here because legislators want to hear from you, from constituents, from our colleges directly. Well, I think it's important, and certainly I've been involved in advocacy at multiple levels for some years now, and I see how important it is to come and walk the halls and meet the people themselves here, not just in our local. But we work with them in the local level. Of course, we're fortunate to have some pretty good legislators, so we're in better shape than a lot of people in Texas. So. Yes, you have a great set of delegation. Yeah, we do. Well, thanks a bunch, Jacob. Thank you. Thank you for being on Annette on Education Podcast. I'm uh, doing a kind of just advocacy overview today for the for the next episode. Give us an overview of what's going on in session right now. And this is Senator Cal Seliger. Right now, we are just moving bills really fast. From an education point of view, last session was an education session with HB3, before that HB5. And so this session, other than the budget, where I think public education is maintaining pretty well, those are the big issues. We, we are, we've gone on to a lot of other things now, as we always do, and you do when you have over 6,000 bills filed. But that's where we are right now. But the pace is picking up because even though we essentially gave up three weeks to weather and COVID, and, uh, and we passed too many bills anyway, it's hit a pretty frenetic pace because everybody wants their bills to go to pass. Well, thank you. Thank you for the work that you do and have done for the Panhandle thank and you. the state of Texas. Um, this has certainly been a, a crazy year and appreciate all the effort that y'all put out. So thank you. Well, thank you. I, uh, I appreciate the effort that everyone else is, has put out. Well, this has been a year of Texas teachers have never seen before. I had one long-term teacher tell me she had to learn a new way to teach. And to do that and, and, and to do the job that we needed to do for our kids is, um, is, is really good. But one thing COVID showed us is how short we are of being able to really effectively, comprehensively teach virtually. I that just, we have not supplanted the contact with the teacher and the student. And I just think back to Mrs. Wiles' classes at Borger High School and how different those would have been if we'd have been in a virtual setting. Yeah, but with her, don't you think it was always a threat of physical violence that worked a lot? <laughs> that You might have felt that. that you, well, yeah. That you, you couldn't avoid. This was our high school biology teacher who had like a minus 470 degree icy blue-eyed stare. <laughs> and she would bring classroom to an absolute silence whereupon one person was going to get really badly chastised. It was a really scary experience. I'd rather be beaten. <laughs> I have completely different memories of Mrs. Wells. In, so, in probably every class with every teacher, but that was mine. <laughs> but, uh, but today you have, you have our superintendent, Doug Lemus. You have from our ISD. You've got the president of Amarillo College, several regents, a representative from TAC, Dustin Meadows here. Is it more important for us to come in person or... 
do emails and phone calls work this as is, much? This is certainly true of, of public education people. Any method is fine. It's the message. And so Zoom is fine. We always like associating face-to-face, -face, but we don't have to as long as the message is good and we can be pointed in the right direction, which is what we do in this office. To tell you the truth, I'm a little accustomed. I'd go in a little accustomed to almost every day showing up and having a superintendent from somewhere around the state of Texas sitting here. Yesterday, it was the superintendent of Aleaf, who's provided some very useful guidance and, and comes in now and then. And um, But it, it's it's the message that, that matters. Like I say, you'd like rather, rather visit face-to-face -face with your friends, but that doesn't keep us from doing what we need to do. Well, we're going to let you go. Keep doing what you need to do. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks a lot. So I'm doing kind of an on-the-street advocacy yeah. uh, podcast episode. And right now we're, we are in with uh, John Smithy, one of our representatives from Amarillo. And, John, you've been in the house how long? Well, I've lost count of the years, but I came in in 1985. Wow. And, and so, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for a long time. A long time. Yeah, Thank yeah. you for all that hard work you've done for the citizens well, it's been a privilege of West be Texas and, and the state of Texas. Um, just a quick overview from your perspective. We're here today for Community College and K-12, our local folks here. An overview from your perspective. Well, you know, uh, it's it's been a tough biennium because of the COVID situation, and it, that, that has made a tough session as well. Uh, but the good news is that we're actually recovering as a state uh, probably uh, faster than we expected to. Uh, the vaccine has helped, I think, build confidence that we can re return to some sort of normalcy. We're seeing our economic numbers improve almost every month and stronger than what had been anticipated. And so when you, when you add all of that together, I think there's a lot of optimism that, that Texas is going to rebound from from the uh, the slowdown we had with COVID quicker and better and stronger than we had ever expected. Do you anticipate any special sessions? Well, we, I think we're certain to have a special session. And what the big driver is, is we're required, you know, by the Texas Constitution to do reapportionment or re redistricting every 10 years. And uh, this is the first time since I've been in the legislature where we will not have the census numbers by the time we adjourn at the end of May. So we're waiting on the, uh, the federal census department to, to get us the numbers. We know roundly what those numbers will show, but we, we need the exact numbers or, or the, the relatively final numbers before we can really proceed with redistricting. So we're, I think, all resigned to the fact that we're going to have to have a special session, and I think it, it's looking more and more like September or October. And, of course, the problem with that is you can't start your campaigning or people filing for office if they don't know what district they live in yet and because there's no districts. And so Good point. It, it's very possible that some of the elections may have to be rescheduled. That's been done before, uh, but we may have to to move some of the, the primaries back a little bit. Wow. Okay. Well, having been involved in a move primary, I, I don't look forward to y'all having to do that. So. Well, it's not good because, you know, I think the best way to, to have elections is where everybody kind of has an idea of when they're going to be, how, what the time frame is. I think you tend to get higher turnout in those circumstances than when you move the dates around. And 
you know, the, our last big move that we made in election dates is putting more time between the primaries and the runoffs because what we found out is that our overseas voters, particularly our military voters, they by the time they could get their vote physically back, uh, it was it was too late to be counted in the in the uh, outcome of the election, and so that just didn't seem right. So. So we, we did set, we did put a wider range, basically move the runoffs back about a month from what they had been. Well, John, thank you for all your effort on behalf of the state of Texas. Thank you for the effort on, you know, for the panhandle. And thanks for being on my podcast. We appreciate it. Well, thank it. you. It's an honor. Right now we're here visiting with my representative for Price. For thanks for being on my podcast again. Give us your overview of session right now. Session has been um, like all of them, uh, unique in in many respects. It started off slowly because of uh, COVID nineteen protocols, and there weren't as many individuals in the building. And uh, you know, we we had uh, slowed down probably on the pace of the session initially, just for various reasons. And then the weather event down here that shut most of the state down for a few days did throw some curveballs into the regular schedule or rhythm maybe of the session, but um, it has really picked up in its uh, pace here in the last several weeks. The budget, which is the only bill we have to pass, will be uh, heard on the House floor um, tomorrow. And uh, the Senate has already um, taken that up in their chamber. And so you know, it looks better in many respects than what I thought, you know, we might be dealing with uh, when we talked um, several months ago, which is a very good thing. It's the only bill we actually have to, you know, move through and get to the governor's desk. Um, and, and instead of looking at shortfalls across the board, we're looking at good um, economic uh, factors that will probably, uh, you know, uh, allow us to fund all the agencies and services that will meet Texans needs and do it in a way that uh, is responsible and also is is balanced. And so I'm looking forward to uh, that process tomorrow. And um, uh, the session is otherwise going very well. So many different policy issues are being addressed right now from healthcare to higher education, public education. Of course, those, those areas really take up uh, just a huge chunk of uh, policy oxygen in, in every room here at the Capitol. But uh, so many other things are being discussed, uh, natural resources, economic development, um, just, you know, uh, business and industry, environmental issues, a lot of things happening. So it's, uh, it's a good session, and I expect uh, good results here as we uh, head into the last five and a half weeks. Well, we appreciate your support, your hard work. This is what, your sixth session? It is my sixth session. I, count, I was counting back, and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> it's hard to believe. I know. It's, uh, it's gone fairly quickly, so it's hard to believe it's been that long. Wow. Well, thanks for what you do for not just the Panhandle, but for all of Texas. Again, a lot of folks really don't understand what advocacy means, but you probably do because you have everybody in your office advocating for everything all day long uh, throughout the session. It's been a little different, I know, this session, but we appreciate you meeting with us and visiting with us about community college and public ed. Well, I always appreciate the feedback and the insight, and, and I would say that if you weren't sitting here with uh, with other uh, members of the community, uh, both the higher ed community and the public ed community from Amarillo, but uh, it is invaluable. It makes every member here a better representative, senator, advocate for those interests when they really have good people from 
their backyard that are telling them this is how we're affected. This is what the issues are. This is what should be prioritized. This is what, you know, it means to us if certain things happen or don't happen. And so I can go into a committee or I can talk to my colleagues and say, I've heard from the superintendent of AISD or the president of Amarillo College or board members. And this is exactly what they're telling me needs to happen. It has more impact than if it's just my opinion. Uh, so it's, it's great. And your, your insights are invaluable. So I appreciate it. Well, thanks. And you know, we do partner pretty well in the panhandle. So that's why we're here together today. Yes, we do. I'm always proud of that. Yeah. Well, thanks a bunch for appreciate you being on here. Thanks. So what did you have? Uh, prairie dogs. They're all over the neighborhood. In Odessa, okay. Odessa. All right, so I am interviewing right now with my friend, Dustin Matter, who is governmental relations. Director at, of government relations. At Texas Association of Community Colleges. Dustin, thank you for being on here. So tell us what your role is and kind of how you spend your time. Sure. i uh, Director of Government Relations for the association. And so what that means is uh, I work with our board and with our, our executive director to uh, advocate on behalf of all the colleges uh, in Texas uh, that are members of the association. Uh, we work on uh, proactively advocating for and against legislation. Um, we are, as a 501c6, a, a unabashed advocacy organization. So we do come to the Capitol. Um, our, our North Star, as we say, is, is funding, and we come to prioritize uh, that we get the support we need from the state for, for all of our college districts. And then we do work on a few policy issues uh, advocating for um, changes to the dual credit landscape, to transfer, to uh, grant programs to support our colleges, uh, you name it. And uh, all of these are approved by our board. Uh, through a, a process that I, I work with our team to help facilitate. Great. And I'm on the CAT board and we work with you through that as well. So Absolutely. Yeah. The CAT is our, uh, the Community College Association, Texas Trustees, is our, our sister group and, and we're all housed uh, together and we yeah, work hand in glove on, on policies to advance for our colleges. Great. And the big issues this session? Well, this session, like every session, it is funding, number one. Um, the uh, the nature of the community college formula, which is largely driven by enrollment, um, means that in in this fluke year, I would say, uh, of the pandemic, uh, our, where statewide our enrollments are down, does not spell a good budget situation for most of our colleges. Um, so we're working on trying to, to shore up that situation and then on the policy side, uh, we're advancing um, some workforce targeted legislation called the True Initiative, Texas Reskilling, Upskilling Through Education, that seeks to establish a grant program by which our colleges uh, could apply for grants to support short-term workforce credentials, um, really for displaced workers trying to get back to work in under a year. Which is going to be a huge issue for individuals and communities after this pandemic year. So huge supporter and believer in community colleges and the true initiatives. So. Thank you. Well, we we believe so. And and even before the pandemic, the the economy is just transitioning in such a way that the demand, I think, is really shifting towards these these small credentials and uh, and we've seen some survey data suggest that those seeking an education are not necessarily inclined to go for the full four years. But the beauty of this program is that they could theoretically, through stackable degrees, get a short-term certificate now, uh, get something like a certified nurse assistant, and then at some point come back, get the, get the RN, the BSN, maybe even go to med school. Who knows? But it's all about getting that first entry point. Great. 
Anything else our listeners need to know about advocacy? I mean, if I'm just out there and I care about community college or whatever, but I'm not a board member or something, what would I do? Well, um, if in the in the great state of Texas, where we have uh, a, a committee system that allows for public testimony, we have uh, open access to hopefully to your representatives. Um, even if your member is not on a, a higher ed committee or a finance committee or appropriations committee, it, it's all about letting your local voice and to know what the current status is for your institution and, and, and how it's affected. So uh, really just making sure that your member knows what's important for your community college. Great. Thanks so much, Dustin. I Happy appreciate to do it. it. Now I'm talking to my friend and fellow regent on the Emerald College Board, Jay Barrett. Jay, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Annette. It's my pleasure. Talk about how we plan to have this visit today over time, kind of, and what our issues are. You know, we have been planning this for quite a while now, just trying to get in because of COVID has kind of hampered some of our plans. But but really, uh, with TAC and with CAT working together, we have a pretty unified front going um, concerning things that are important to us, namely funding and making sure that we have the hold harmless in place. Um, I think having us come together with with uh, our president, Russell, with our superintendent, uh, Doug Loomis, and you and I coming together and working with TAC, I think we have presented our case very well for that funding formula and hold harmless. And to just back up a little bit. Yeah. Jay has been on the CAT board for some time. You're on the executive committee. Mm-hmm. I'm now on the also on the CAT board, and I'm on the legislative committee. At Amarillo College, we have a legislative committee that I did chair, but you were on, and now you're chairing, and yes. I'm on. Yes. And so together we, we work both with Russell and team, and then also at the state level with Dustin and Jacob and respective boards to come up with the issues that we can all agree on. Absolutely. What we find out every time we come uh, as a legislative group, that advocacy pays dividends, that our legislators, they need us to to help them identify the areas that we are concerned about. And not only just, you know, it's not complaining about things, it's actually giving them good information that they can take and share with other legislators and uh, show why it's important back in Amarillo. We've also talked about the True Initiative, which I think is going to be revolutionary in the state of Texas, where we're getting uh, we're getting people who have been disenfranchised, perhaps, or disconnected at least uh, from education for a number of years, and getting them back in that workforce, giving them credentials that will lead to jobs that pay well, and and uh, it's also about stackable credentials that they can build that. That's exactly what we talk about in high school where I'm principal is that you have this pathway that you create. Most of our pathways run from high school right through Amarillo College and beyond, but it's really not about it's not about getting a, a degree necessarily. If that's part of it, then that's what you do. But it's just about getting that, that credential that will lead to those jobs, those career pathways that you want to be in. And Jay, you and I have known each other for a long time as principal at multiple schools in Amarillo Mm -hmm. ISD, Mm -hmm. me as a board member. Our kids did some things together, Mm -hmm. I know, at one point. Mm -hmm. Then I serve, I run and serve on the, or get elected to, I run and get elected to the community college board at Amarillo College. And then we had an opening and you applied. (laughs) You're a busy man. Why in the world (laughs) did you want to spend time on the college board? You know, I'm thinking back to that 
interview basically is what it was with you and two other regions. I was sitting on my back porch reading the Amarillo Globe News and I I saw the article that said, hey, they're looking for someone. And I thought, you know, I've done I've done um, what I do in education for about it was about 30 years that I'd been doing that in public ed. And I thought, how else could I serve education? Because at the high school level, I've seen where students go or don't go. And so I, I came in there and I think I made the statement that, you know, I've got a lot of plates spinning, but being a region at Amarillo College would be like the dessert plate. Uh, and it would be something that, that I value. So, and I have, I have so much benefited from being a regent, not just hopefully benefited the college, but benefited my career and benefited Amarillo ISD with all the connections that we've been able to create and just my simple understanding of what college is all about. Well, you've been a great regent, and I think you bring tons of value. And so I'd like to, you know, shout out to folks across the state or beyond. Consider that if you're in education, yes. that maybe your local community college needs you yeah, uh, to, to run for office or vice versa. Run for school board if you're involved in community college, because it really, the systems aren't built together or aligned, but the more we can do to interconnect them, the better we can do to meet the needs of our students and our communities. Well, you know, when a, um, you can look at it as I'm, I'm, I'm on both sides of this fence, but really, why is there a fence? You know, why do we have Good something in question. why do we have something in between us? And I think that's what we're doing in Amarillo ISD that's kind of revolutionary that we're just growing this this pathway, this pipeline, um, and, and it's going to pay dividends for our community for years and years to come. Well, Jay, thanks a bunch, and I look forward to working with you and serving with you more if I get reelected. No, no ifs. <laughs> Let's do it, Annette. Let's get it done. All right. Thanks a bunch, okay, Jay. Thank you. Bye. And now we are talking to my friend and superintendent of Amarillo ISD, Doug Loomis. Doug, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Annette. Sorry I was making so much noise in the background a little (laughs) bit ago. People who know me, they'll just say that's typical Loomis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're uh, excited to have you journey down here with us today and talk about why you wanted to be here. I think it's so important that, that what we do in Amarillo, we do it together. And, and Russell and I believe that we need to model that and we need to figure out ways that, that we're working together and supporting our community to make sure we're not duplicating services and expecting taxpayers to double pay things and ultimately uh, finding uh, a passions of kids and, and finding a place for them to, to find a true career and love once they leave us. As we've talked for years and years through the district and uh, P-16 council and and such, we kind of have multiple systems of education. We've got the K-12 system, public ed. We've got the community college system. And then we've got the four-year universities. We've brought those all together as much as possible. And it's still working on it in the panhandle. Uh, It's not true necessarily across the state. But what kind of benefits do you see from us working together? Well, it, it brings expertise, and, and, and it, it, what it really does is it brings the, the culmination of 14 or 16 years worth of education together for kids where they're going to, as adults, have a career and a passion. And so when we work together, we streamline that, and we build those bridges together, and, and we don't make kids duplicate things themselves. You know, one of my 
pet peeves is we make a kid do something and they turn right around, you know, two or three years later and they have to do it at a college or at a university. And then when they get in the workforce and what this does is it ensures that kids are getting the skills that they need from us. Emerald College is able to provide the skills that they need and then ultimately right into that workforce or into a baccalaureate degree. So it's 21st of April today in 2021. It's been a crazy year because of COVID. And the big issue right now that's hot on the table is what? Finance, finishing up uh, a legislative session to see how we're going to come out of COVID. Um, you know, for for uh, public ed, for us right now, it really is that conversation in Texas about where where's the federal dollars going to go and when will they roll and, and how we'll we be able to use those. And so that's really the big topic that's out there right now. Emerald ISD is a member of the Texas School Alliance. We, we visited with Curtis earlier in this podcast. And so you have to come down here or at least get on a Zoom meeting now periodically and really try to, you know, get Amarillo's needs in there, even though we're farther yeah. away from Austin than just about anybody in Texas, maybe El Paso, but yeah, you, we're, we're way up in the panhandle and, and it's important that, that people in Austin hear our needs and what's it going to take to ensure our kids are successful. And so we do that through advocacy. Uh, we're part of the Texas School Alliance. Um, today was gladly came with, with the Emerald College group um, to help advocate for those things that will make us all stronger and better together. You know, we live in a world today where so often we want to villainize one another and we, we really have lost the art of compromise. You know, we look at things unless I get 100% of what I'm wanting, um, somehow I'm going to villainize you or feel like I've, I've lost. And, and I think as leaders, we need to step up and, and show what the true art of compromise is. And all of us come to the table and, and look what's best and understand that many times best means a compromise. Um, but the only way we get there is when we're at the table together and the people that we elect that we send to Austin, we're, we're telling them what we need, showing them what we need, and, and then be, being willing to understand that other people in Texas are going to have different needs. And so we come back ultimately to the art of a compromise. And when there's a compromise, we're to win. I like that. Well, Doug, thanks so much thanks. for being on here. Appreciate you. Bye. I don't know about y'all, but it's two hours till our reservation and I'm ready for dinner. <laughs> we can always go early. So we're going to wrap this up. We've spent we spent the better part of the day in the Capitol in Austin as the Emerald College team, including Doug Loomis from Emerald ISD. Russell, how do you think it went? Um, I think we got to be clear with what we needed from our representatives and they were responsive. They had great questions and we had even better answers, and I, I like that uh, we were able to visit with our reps, with elected regents, with the president of Amarillo College and the superintendent of Amarillo ISD, and um, the Texas Association of Community Colleges governmental relations. It was, it's a, it just we're stronger when we're a team across organizational boundaries, and I uh, just feel. I feel better going home than I did coming. I feel like there's a path forward that uh, we can see. They have our reps have to not just our local that we've re- we've elected, but our elected officials have to follow through with it. But there's a path, and it's not a difficult one if if people just do the right thing. And I think it's really important that 
we came together, both K-12 and community college. I've always thought that, and you have as well. So we've worked on that in our community. It's not true across the state, and I'm sure not all representatives or senators have their local community college president and superintendent visit together at the same time. So some potential partnerships there for listeners out there, please. Well, we're we're all trying to educate the same families, and we're stronger when we educate them together in alignment. And I think politically, we're stronger when we're advocating for each other in the, the political system that funds us both. Well, and we've all seen in the COVID year that many of our families, we already knew this, but many of our families are the same people. Yeah. Our students are the parents of the students in the ISD, or they're a recent graduate or whatever. So the more we can work together there, that's important. But also we saw the challenges that these families face. Mm. And of course, Amarillo College is national award winner for recognizing these issues and that, you know, maybe not all these students have access to technology and to the internet. I think that it speaks to given that we're in the state capital of Texas and we're here for political reasons, it speaks to the political imperative that the elected officials in this amazing building have to respond to, that this isn't about conservative versus liberal, Democrat versus Republican, or Republican versus more conservative Republican. The issues that we face in rural communities cross socioeconomic issues, cross economic issues, and cross political issues. So we have families that deserve every ounce of state support that that families in the population centers deserve, but they have bigger challenges that those families in population centers don't have. And the legislature, I think, has a moral obligation to help our families access broadband, access health care, access things that, um, that I think other people take for granted in larger communities. Well, Russell, I think that's a good summation. Thank you very much. And thank, thank you for the work you do. And thank you for listening to Annette on Education. <laughs>